Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number seven on Alice's Adventures, as we are getting into the home stretch now of Alice in Wonderland, um, from which we will be transitioning uh, to Alice Through the Looking Glass. Um, and uh, I don't think we're going to finish this evening. In fact, I'm quite positive we're not going to finish this evening. Um, but I am not uh, without hopes. Sorry, hang on a second. Um, it sounds like I'm in a well. Perhaps it's a treacle well. Also, I've been talking for about six, seven hours today. So uh, my voice is uh, also not quite uh, what it uh, sometimes is. Um, but uh, I apologize. That's the problem. Now I don't sound like I'm down a well. Okay, there we go. There we go. Sorry. Yes, no, you guys were exactly right. <laughs> exactly, JJ. I did have to disable the treacle well setting. Um, yeah, yeah, it was set on the treacle well effect, which I had to disable. Uh, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, whew, uh, long day today. Um, it's been uh, an exciting but rather exhausting time uh, since Comic-Con, I have to imagine. Um, but I'm delighted to be back uh, and to get back to discussing Alice's adventures, especially since we get a very great deal of poetry here this evening. Um, so, um, yeah, my time as an expert witness in court was excellent, JJ. Yeah, it was uh, a very solemn process uh, in uh, uh, late night radio on the BBC. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was good. Um, but um, anyhow, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, um, I did a guest spot this afternoon on the BBC uh, where I was brought in as the expert witness uh, to help to adjudicate the question uh, or uh, the, the, the proposition that was raised was uh, that the Lord of the Rings movies are better than the books. Um, and I talked to them and I'm like, seriously, you, you want me to, you know, adjudicate that question? I can't pretend to be unbiased on that point. Um, but, uh, anyway, it was a fun little, fun little spot. To my surprise, John Garth was brought in as the, uh, uh he had been brought in as the, pro as the, uh, the, the prosecution, uh, barrister there. So, um, uh, well, I guess the no, is it the defense? I guess it's the defense. He was uh, opposing the the proposition, um, but um, anyway, anyway, um, let's see. The hostile witness, a woman named Claire. I didn't know. I didn't know her. She was a podcaster, I guess, but I I I, I didn't know her. Um, anyway, it was it was it was a funny little segment, um, but um, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I did not get to wear a powdered wig, um, JJ. That was the greatest disappointment in the whole thing. Um, I was really hoping I would get to wear a nice judicial wig. Um, but um, as it was a radio spot, they didn't bother with the wigs. So, you know, uh, that was a little bit of a disappointment, but it was okay. Um, <laughs> is it available online? Maybe. It might be somewhere. Uh, BBC Five is the, uh, uh, it was the thing. I'm not sure how to link to that spot directly. Um, I tweeted out the live feed before I uh, went live, but um, anyway, yes, the book's won, Aaron. In fact, we, uh, we carried the day, and I was glad. It wasn't even just because I was going to vote that way anyway. Um, 
it was uh, uh, the actually there were like two other people and then I was the third um, sort of deciding vote. But they had both actually already decided that like the proposition that the movies are better than the books did not carry uh, before they even got to me. So uh, I was able just to affirm it at that point. So there we go. No suspense. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to remind folks that our new month of space uh, modules is just about to start. Um, there are super exciting things going on in space these days. Uh, if you haven't checked recently, you totally should. Um, we have more modules than ever. We've opened our humanities sector, so we've got um, lots of different things coming in. Um, we're doing... Uh, uh, modules on uh, Tolkien's Second Age, when Tolkien wrote Time Travel, so looking at the Notion Club papers and The Lost Road. Um, we've got a module on Tolkien's translation of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Um, we've got, and that's just like the Tolkien-oriented ones. Um, we have other medieval ones. We have language ones. We're doing, um, we're doing Japanese now. We're about to start Chinese soon. Um, really, really, really fun stuff happening in space. Uh, creative writing. We're doing uh, creative writing uh, forms in poetry, actually. Uh, uh, Serena Higgins is teaching that uh, this coming month uh, in August. So um, lots of uh, lots of fun, lots of fun stuff uh, that's uh, happening in space. So definitely uh, want to make sure that you take a look at that. Um, but let us... Uh, let us jump into the text here. I know I'm already starting late here today, so. Um, we had just gotten up to the lobster quadrille. Um, and uh, the, um, the griffin and the mock turtle were just about to begin explaining to Alice what the lobster quadrille in uh, is and how, it, uh, and how it works. You may not have lived much under the sea. I haven't, said Alice. And perhaps you were never introduced to a lobster. Alice began to say, I once tasted, but checked herself hastily and said, no, never. So you can have no idea what a delightful thing a lobster quadrille is. No, indeed, said Alice. What sort of a dance is it? Why, said the griffin, the first, you first form into a line along the seashore. Two lines, cried the mock turtle, seals, turtles, salmon, and so on. Then when you've cleared all the jellyfish out of the way... That generally takes some time, interrupted the griffin. You advance twice, each with a lobster as a partner, cried the griffin. Of course, said the mock turtle. Advance twice, set to partners, change lobsters, retire in same order, continued the griffin. Then, you know, the mock turtle went on, you throw the, the lobsters, shouted the griffin, with a bound into the air, as far out to sea as you can. Swim after them, screamed the griffin. Turn a somersault in the sea, cried the mock turtle, capering wildly about. Change lobsters again, yelled the griffin at the top of its voice. Back to land again. And that's all the first figure, said the mock turtle, suddenly dropping his voice. And the two creatures, who had been jumping about like mad things all this time, sat down again very sadly and quietly and looked at Alice. It must be a very pretty dance, said Alice timidly. Okay, uh, first of all, notice that reference in the very first paragraph. Alice is about to respond to the question of whether or not she's ever been introduced to a lobster by saying, I once tasted lobster, right? But she checks herself hastily and says, no, never. Um, now, on the one hand, this is quite similar to things we've seen from Alice several times already in this story, 
right? In particular, of course, I'm thinking about the mouse um, and her stories about Dinah and about puppies who are good at hunting mice, right? Um, we have seen this kind of um, insensitivity, right? Um, from Alice before, obliviousness, really, to the sort of the point of view of the other speaker. Um, and she even gets sort of impatient with a mouse for being impatient with her, for being offended with her, right, so easily, just because she keeps talking about, you know, things which kill mice, right? Um, and uh, so on the one hand, Alice begins, once again, to respond unthinkingly, um, talking about eating lobsters, and uh, but she checks herself and says, no, never, and it doesn't seem to be called out, right, as these things have been made a big deal of in the past. I'm trying to decide, but I think, I think that this, um, I think that this represents progress on Alice's part. I don't want to overstate it because, I mean, she does still begin talking about it, but, um, but it does, she seems less oblivious here, um, than she is, uh, than she has been before. Um, yeah, uh, First Fish says she can learn sensitivity but refuse to be put in her place or silenced. Yes, and Karita, I think that when they sit sadly, um, uh, they sat down again very sadly and quietly and looked at Alice. Um, I, I don't think it means sad in the modern sense. I think sadly in that case means seriously, as you suggest. Yeah, yeah, very much. They're looking very seriously and quietly. The point there is the contrast right, between them jumping about like mad things the whole time and then suddenly sitting down again very sadly and quietly, right? Not that they look sad, um, uh, but in the modern, again, in the way that we use the word sad, um, though our usage is rather a limited one. Um, they're not looking melancholy, they're looking serious, um, in sharp contrast to the wild screaming and capering that they have been doing in describing the lobster quadrille. Now, um, what's funny about this? It's always a hard question to ask, you know. Um, you know, in most cases, right, if you have to explain a joke, that means it's not working. Um, but that's not true, fortunately, in literature classes, um, where looking carefully at how jokes work is part of the fun. Um, do you see the contrast here, I think there are several reasons why this is funny, potentially. Um, but one of the things I think, Carita, the passage that you, the, the sentence that you were pointing at is to me um, a real, um, a real crux, a real crux um, to the humor of this whole sequence, right? Um, think about how 19th century dances work. Right. Um, not waltzes. Remember, the waltz was very scandalous in the 19th century, especially the early 19th century. Um, and you can see why. Right. I mean, when you waltz with someone, you are, first of all, individually matched up with that one person the whole time. You are touching each other's bodies all the time. Right. You're embracing one another. Indeed. Right. Um, with your bodies startlingly close together. And then you're swaying and moving together in all manner of suggestive ways, right? It's uh, it's quite whew, the waltz, right? Uh, compared to the way that more traditional 
uh, dancing, like the quadrille, is done, right? With the forming of the two lines. And, right? and JJ's hoping we don't have to age restrict this stream. I hope not. I hope we can all, we're all mature enough here. I'll, I'll make sure it's specified that this is not made for children. Um, but, um, but you know, the, the lining up of the two lines, I mean, presumably, I think everybody has seen, um, uh, uh, you know, like Jane Austen movies or something, uh, you know, where the people line up and then they, you know, they kind of walk around each other and uh, and then, you know, put their hands against each other out like this and spin around and everything. But there's no there's no embracing. Generally, there's no um, uh, there's 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 none of that. Um, there's none of that same thing. Um, dancing a dance like the quadrille. It's all about um, dignified order, right? Um, and as they are describing the dance, the lobster quadrille, um, the escalation of the excitement of the griffin and the mock turtle, right? Continually interrupting each other, finishing each other's sentences. Um, uh, they their voices escalate and escalate right we go from uh we go from said right to interrupted and cried and then screamed right um so they're getting louder and louder their um uh their their description gets more and more wild right um Turning a somersault in the sea. I, I'm willing to believe that that's uh, part of the part of the part of the figure, um, and that's all the first figure said. The mock turtle dropping suddenly his voice, and the two creatures, who had been jumping about like mad things all this time, sat down again very sadly and quietly and looked at Alice. Right, um, a figure. The first figure. Of a dance, right? You know, it dances in several figures. So you're like, you know, you've got the one part uh, where, like, you know, the gentleman comes forward and then the lady comes forward and they bow to each other and then they go back and then they sort of pass around each other and then they walk up and down the line and then it'll change to the next figure, right? And the next figure, they'll some very different kind of motion often will come in, right? Like the, you know, they'll do the. Um, like then the two lines will like peel away and come back around the other way and they'll you know it's it's all kinds of different kinds of stuff, um, but all very orderly, all very, all very civilized, um, all very controlled, uh, and so the description of the first figure, um, that that and that's you know that's all the first figure, uh, said the mock turtle, is I think the sort of punchline, of the joke there, um, that. He takes this wild, chaotic description of a wild, chaotic uh, dance, which is like a figure in a traditional quadrille, a traditional dance. Um, you've got the uh, advance twice, right? Um, you form two lines and then one side advances twice. Um, things already start to deteriorate Um because you've got to clear the jellyfishes out of the way, right? Which generally takes some time. Um, so things are, are already a little bit. Um, then once we start throwing the lobsters as far out to sea as you can and swimming after them, um, things are uh, 
things are definitely uh, going a little crazy. Throwing the lobsters does involve physical contact, JJ, but it's, uh, it's not quite so intimate, really, um, as the waltz. We're still safe uh, on this side of, uh, of that kind of personal intimacy. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, and notice... I don't know. Why lobsters? This is something I've been trying to figure out. I've been trying to figure out why you put the lobster in the lobster quadrille. Because um, you have all manner of creatures on the one side. Seals, turtles, salmon, and so on. Right? All different kinds of aquatic creatures. Mammal, reptile, and fish. Right? Um, representing very different kinds. Um, but... Um, on the other side is just lobsters, right? This is just about how to dance with lobsters. And the lobsters seem very much the, um, um, well, they're not leading this dance for sure, right? As they're the ones who get chucked out into the sea. Um, uh, and then you change lobsters again, like you often change partners uh, in, a, uh, uh, in a, a line dance or a country dance. Um, and yeah, it, I agree, Jocelyn. It is funny because lobsters are notoriously difficult and dangerous to handle. Um, the idea of lining up to dance with a lobster um, with its claws and, uh, well, the big claws and the little claws. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever done much cooking of live lobsters, um, but... Um, the big claws are dangerous, but of course, normally when you get live lobsters from the store, anyway, they're... Um, you know, those are rubber banded shut. Uh, but the little claws on the little legs pinch like anything. Um, you gotta be very, very careful about that. Um, and I wonder, Edith, is lobster some obscure dance related pun that I don't know? It might be. Um, it is, um, it is possible. You do lob the lobsters, Druid's Fire, which is suggestive, right? Um, um, Carita, you haven't had lobster? Oh. When you come out to New England, we'll have lobster. Um, uh, I'll teach you how to. I'll teach you how to dismember your meal. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it, Mighty Felix, it does seem to me that the lobsters are being put into the um, the lobsters are being put into the female position, right? Um, they are, I think, definitely in the woman's role, uh, in this, uh, uh, in this setup, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure what to do with that, right? I'm not sure, um, uh, I'm not sure what conclusions to draw from that, uh, yeah, yeah, um, not really um not really sure not really sure um and yes it's true that lobsters look like giant bugs but that does not stop them from being enormously tasty i promise um uh yeah yeah uh, but anyway
Let's go on to the poem. Listen to the rhythm of the poem. Of course, of course you'll listen to the rhythm of the poem. Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail? There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail. See how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance. They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you join the dance? You can really have no notion how delightful it will be when they take us up and throw us with the lobsters out to sea. But the snail replied, too far, too far, and gave a look askance, said he thanked the whiting kindly, but he would not join the dance. Would not, could not, would not, could not, would not join the dance. Would not, could not, would not, could not, could not join the dance. Okay, um... Uh, the I love the rhythm of those first four lines, right? Um, Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail. There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail. See how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance? They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? It does sound like Dr. Seuss, and there's a reason for that. Uh, there are only two people I know who use this kind of meter uh, uh, on a regular basis. One is Dr. Seuss, who uses every kind of meter uh, and is just wonderful in all of them. Um, uh, the other is, of course, Tom Bombadil. Um, uh, this is Trochi. Uh, Trochi is the opposite. That's exactly, JJ, what you were um, uh, mapping out there. Um, yeah, yeah, Tolkien. Tom Bombadil specifically um, is in Trochis. Uh, you can't count the opening of the line because that's always spondaic. That is multiple stressed syllables in a row, in a row right? Um, but... Um, you know, ho, Tom, Bombadil, Tom, Bombadillo. Um, uh, the difference in the pattern between trochee and iams. On the one hand, once you get into it, you're just alternating stressed and unstressed syllables. Right. So it's very similar to each other. Um, but the patterns of the words is different. Um, the key, look at all the two-syllable words. In, these, in those first lines. Faster, whiting, porpoise, behind us, so that's a three-syllable word with a stress in the middle, treading, lobsters, turtles, all of the two, waiting, shingle, every single two-syllable word in, this, uh, in these four lines all have the stress on the first syllable. Um... And uh, that's that's a, a, a strong indicator there. Um, and yes, both the beginning and the end of the line is uh, uh, is stressed. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, um, uh, and that's actually not uncommon um, in either uh, meter. So it, it 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 has that as an irregularity. It's also it means it's like hard to guess. 
right? Um, if you've got a line which alternates between stressed and unstressed syllables and has a stress on the first syllable and a stress on the last syllable, well, it's either I am, it's either I ams with the exception at the beginning of the line or it's trochee with the exception at the end of the line, right? In either case, it's dropped a, an unstressed syllable, basically. Um, but um, uh, I hadn't noticed that Shakespeare uses trochees when witches or fairies are talking. Hang on. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Notice, by the way, how um, Shakespeare also ends those lines, right? Uh, double, double toil and trouble. Notice again, notice those two syllable words, right? That's the giveaway. If you want to know, if, you're, if, you're, if you can feel the alternation back and forth uh, between unstressed and stressed syllables, um, you, the key is to look at those two syllable words. If you've got a lot of two-syllable words, um, you know, uh, that have the stress on the second syllable, right? Um, you know, well, like begin or something like that, right? Then you're probably an IMS. But when you look at every single one of those two-syllable two words has the stress on the first syllable, you're almost certainly in trochees, right? Um, Will you walk a little faster, said the whiting to a snail? There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail. I also think because of the way the stresses fall, that the, the pattern of having the stress at the beginning of the foot, which also then tends to mean it's at the beginning of words, like those two-syllable two syllable words, right? It also strongly facilitates alliteration, right? With the I am's, bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum, the stress is all in the latter part of the syllable, right? And, you know, the, the, the latter syllable, the latter half of the word. And so, therefore, you're more likely to get things like internal rhyme, um, you know, that the rhyming sound in the, in, the, in the latter part of the word. Whereas, look what we get here. Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail. We've got the three W's in that first line. There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail treading on my tail again. See how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance. They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? Um, so we get the return of the W there as the setup to will you come and join the dance? And we're going to land, we're going to be on the W's right all the way through the refrain there. Um, okay. Um, now, what is the effect of this meter? First of all, notice also how long these lines are. Right? They really roll off. Uh, I just uh, I just love it. Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail. Eight feet in each line. There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail. See how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance? They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? Now, you could separate this into eight tetrameter lines, right? Um, Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail? There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail, right? But by having these longer lines, it really uh, flows 
much more quickly, right? It doesn't invite us to take breaks, even though there's a question mark in the middle of the first line, there's a comma in the middle of the second line, there's a dash in the middle of the fourth line, right? There are places where we can pause, um, but the length of these lines uh, really invites us to continue through. It's extremely bouncy, isn't it? Um, yeah. Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail? Um, uh, yes, JJ says, I was trying to come up with a tune uh, while reading these, and it was really tough to come up with a slow, sad melody. It seems to demand fun, bouncy music. Yes, there is, um, uh, again, Tom Bombadil, just saying, right? Um, uh, and some, the, the um, I think there are other examples Dr. Seuss. Sorry, I'm thinking about Dr. Seuss again. Thinking about Dr. Seuss books in Trochee, which is unusual. He doesn't use it much, but he does use it. Um, the one that I can, uh, the one that I immediately think of as the example of Trochee and Dr. Seuss um, is uh, a slightly unusual one, but one that I had as a child and always loved. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a walket in your pocket. Um, there, there's a walket in my pocket, right? Um, Yes. Did you ever have the feeling there's a wocket in your pocket or a wasket in your basket? Um, uh, I don't know if you know that Dr. Seuss book, but um, it's in Trochee uh, all the way through, um, which is, as I said, not a very common meter for him. I'm coming back to Shakespeare and the Witches, though. I love that. Um, that's really cool. Um, you notice what Shakespeare is doing there, right? Shakespeare is using iams. Um, iambic pentameter is his standard meter um, all the way through. Um, and then he, um, uh, he reverses it, right? So that it still works the same way. Like it's got, it's got the same number of feet, right? But the feet are backwards. Um, and so you have the, uh, uh, the witches kind of upside down, right? Um, metrically. Which is which is pretty cool, but anyway, all right. Um, one of the things that I really like about these long lines as well, so it's not the rhyme is not complex, right? The rhyme is important, but it's not complex. Um, it's not complex because it's just it's just both of them are uh, you know it's just mono monosyllabic couplets, right? Um, the the rhyme is just on the one syllable. Um, and it's just the two couplets back and forth. So the rhyme scheme couldn't be simpler, right? But the cool thing is the way that, because the line is so long, there's something climactic and satisfying about the rhyme, I find. Um, Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail? Now, you know the ale sound is coming, right? But you have to wait for it so long. Um, and... Uh, it's like, is the is the line going to come out right? And um, it's you know, I have this like irrational sense. Um, uh, uh, I have this irrational sense that uh, you know the the line might miss uh, the rhyme. Like it's going to be harder to hit it, right? Because you're shooting it uh, at it from so far away. Um, there's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail. See how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance? They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? Um, it is um, 
there's something I just there's, I find there's something so satisfying about those rhymes at the end of those kinds of lines. Now, the content of this poem. Oh, hang on. Before we get to the content, um, I've only been talking about those first four lines, right? And it looks like in the second stanza we're doing a very similar thing. You can really have no notion how delightful it will be when they take us up and throw us with the lobsters out to sea. But the snail replied too far, too far, and gave a look askance, said he thanked the whiting kindly, but he would not join the dance. And of course, both come to the same word, right? Dance is what we're leading up to. Um, And there's something... Surprising rhymes are fun. Right? Surprise is fun, but sometimes anticipation is even better than surprise. Right? Um, after advance and dance in the first stanza, askance, uh, we know where we're headed. Right? We know we're going to come back to dance again, and we do. Right? Um, but uh, the amusement of and gave a look askance, uh, a sort of reaching for that rhyme, uh, askance, a slightly unusual word. Um, but we know where we're headed, right? We know we're going to get back to the dance, and it's super satisfying uh, when it comes back around. But, okay, the refrain. How does this work? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you join the dance? Um, Okay. On the one hand, it remains in trochee, Right, the stress is on the alliterated, alliterated, alliterated. That's the word. Alliterated sounds. Right, the W's. Will you? Won't you? Will you? Won't you? Will you join the dance? So we've got. Will you? Won't you? Will you? Won't you? We've got four beats, and then three beats. Will you join the dance? Um, notice that those. Um, first and third lines of the refrains there also are the only lines in the entire poem so far that end with an unstressed syllable, like a trochaic line is theoretically supposed to do, right? Um, We've got eight full syllables, not seven, as we might have expected from the others. Um, Yeah, yeah. There's an obvious shift in, well, not exactly rhythm, as I said, they're all trochee. Um, but there's an obvious shift in tempo, right? Um, see how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance? You just trip right along on that. JJ, as you say, it's hard to think of that in applauding melody, right? Um, but the refrain is very different. You almost can't read it. Notice how I keep making mistakes when I'm reading it, right? Um, You almost can't read it fast. Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you join the dance? I mean, you can, but that's pretty jarring, isn't it? Um, It really wants you to pause. Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you join the dance? Um, Those commas really insist on pauses there, right? 
In other words, this sounds like a dance. Back and forth. Back and forth. Will you? Won't you? Will you? Won't you? There's this sort of uh, pendulum swing, right, of those phrases back and forth. And then the... So instead of having what sounds like a, like a four-beat line followed by a three-beat line, it's what it actually is, right? But instead of sounding like a longer line with a shorter line, instead it sounds like shorter lines and a longer line, right? Will you? Won't you? Will you? Won't you? Will you join the dance? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's... This is... These are poetic lines which are imitating dancing, right? Um, it's like the, you know, back and forth, back and forth, and then circle around, right? Or something like that, right? I mean, it's... Um, uh, but notice the symmetry there, too, right? It's going back and forth between will you and won't you, and then will you join the dance, and won't you join the dance? Uh, but notice what happens there at the end. Um, will you, won't you sounds like um, an alternative, right? Either you will or you won't. Which will it be? Are you going to choose will or are you going to choose won't? But then notice what it does to it. Look at this, those lines two and four of the, or lines seven and eight, if you like, of the whole stanza. Um, lines two and four of the refrain. Will you join the dance? Won't you join the dance? Those are synonyms, right? You see what Carol has done here? He takes these word pairs, which are opposite. Will, won't, will, won't. And he even has you swinging back and forth between them, right? And then, but then when it comes out, will you join the dance and won't you join the dance turn out to mean exactly the same thing. It's almost like some of the word plays from the uh, the Mad Tea Party, right? Um, where what you say and what you mean is not necessarily not necessarily the same thing. Um, I don't think "Won't you join the dance in both lines?" is correct, Rachel. It's possible. Uh, it's interesting that your book has that. It's possible, but I don't think so. I mean, first of all, I copied and pasted this straight out of my digital book, uh, my ebook. So I know my ebook has that. I didn't change that. Um, but also notice how it parallels what we see in the second stanza when it's not just will and won't, but it's would and could. Um, I think it's supposed to alternate. And I hope it is because I really love how that that shift. Do you see what I mean? The shift between the opposition of the two words and then they both mean the same, right? Instead of won't being the opposite of will, won't you join the dance is even stronger, right? Both questions are urging when you phrase them as a question, they're both, um, uh, it turns out instead of trying to decide whether or not you will or you won't, it's just a question of a question or a much stronger question, right? It is more, won't is more persuasive. It's more insistent, right? Um, uh, and I love that turn. I love that that sort of unexpected semantic turn there uh, at the end of the stanzas, which is really cool. But let's go back to the top there, because we haven't yet thought about what the poem's actually saying. 
Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail. That's a strange question. There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail. Something strange there, too. Um, what's happening here? On the one hand, we have this disjunction, right? Between, we've got three creatures. A whiting is a kind of fish. Um, we've got a fish, a snail, and a porpoise, um, none of whom have feet. And there are all of these references, right? Will you walk a little faster? As if both the whiting and the snail are walking, which is certainly impossible. And then we've got the porpoise treading on my tail, right? Um, which also would be impossible. Um, but notice it's not like we're just going into full anthropomorphizing zone, right? It's not like we're just meant to imagine somehow humanoid sea creatures, right? Like people's bodies with porpoise heads or something like that, right? Because the whiting has a tail also, right? And yet, despite the fact that he has a tail and not feet, he's still asking the snail to walk faster um, and uh, implying, not implying, stating that the porpoise is going to tread on his tail. Um, I, JJ, I knew somebody was going to say that, that technically snails do have a foot, um, just not legs, um, nor enough feet to walk. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I hear that. I hear that. Um, but I don't think that's important because the word foot isn't used. If it were, I might think it important, but it's not. Um, see how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance. They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? Okay, here's the other interesting thing to me about this. There's plenty of peculiar things about this. Um, there's a sort of surprise being managed here at the end of the stanza. Do you see what I mean by that? Does that make sense? Um, we don't know it's a dance until they come to the second half of the fourth line. Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail? There's a porpoise close behind us, and he's treading on my tail. What, what's, what's, what's happening? The whiting is trying to, what, escape? Is the porpoise going to eat him? That seems quite plausible, actually. Um, is the porpoise predator and the whiting prey? And the snails, the um, uh, low speed of the snail is somehow posing some sort of survival threat to the whiting? I mean, I don't know, right? We're not given any context there. Um, uh, see how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance? Is that a threat? Well, maybe it is if you're a lobster. Or, sorry, not a lobster. Maybe it is if you're a whiting. Maybe it is if you're a snail. Um, um, not really sure about that, but um, the eager advancing of the lobsters and the turtles might be threatening. Right? I mean, lobsters have fairly significant weapons and turtles have fairly impenetrable armor. So, um, you know, this is uh, an interesting tandem that is advancing towards you with we know not what intention. Right. Um, until we finally are told it sprung upon us in this in the second half of the fourth line 
will you come and join the dance? Oh, oh, it's a dancing thing, right? So the porpoise is only treading on the tail of the whiting because he and his partner are moving too slowly uh, in the in the line, right? In the procession. Um, and, uh, um, right. Um, and of course the lobsters and turtles are advancing with the eagerness of, you know, benevolence, right? As partners, the eagerness of a partner in the dance with you. So, you know, it's all fine. Not threatening at all. Um, and then we go to the will you, won't you part. You can really have no notion how delightful it will be when they take us up and throw us with the lobsters out to sea. Notice it's still the whiting speaking, right? We're still in quotation marks here. And the whiting is still speaking to the snail, right? That's not stopped. So that whiting is telling the snail that it has no notion how delightful it will be when they take us up and throw us with the lobsters out to sea. But the snail replied, too far, too far, and gave a look askance. Said he thanked the whiting kindly, but he would not join the dance. Um, uh, yeah, so um, having just established that what sounded like it might be a threatening situation is actually non-threatening. It's actually a dance. Now the threat gets sort of reasserted, right? Um we have assurances from the whiting that being thrown out to sea with the lobsters really is very delightful indeed, right? Um, but the snail is not at all sure. It is too far and gave a look askance. Um, you know, gave a look askance out of the corner of his eye, right? He's uh, um, uh, casting doubt for sure upon the sentiments of the whiting, right? Um, but then he's polite, said he thanked the whiting kindly, but he would not join the dance. Um, so the first stanza, the first refrain, will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you, and then won't you join the dance, um, seems to be from the whiting's perspective, urging the snail, right? There's the doubt, but then there's the doubt that's resolved in that, um, that semantic turn that we talked about before. Now, would not, could not, would not, could not would not join the dance, would not, could not, would not, could not, could not join the dance. Um, so we're not waffling back and forth anymore, apparently. It's not a question. It is a very firm answer. Would not, could not, would not, could not. Um, and then the, re the, re the repetition, would not join the dance, could not join the dance, um, which only gets, whereas will you join the dance and won't you join the dance, becomes a stronger petition, um, would not and then could not, becomes a stronger negation, right? Um, it is not possible to join the dance. Um, what matters it? How far we go? His scaly friend replied, there is another shore you... there." There is another shore you know upon the other side. The further off from England, the nearer is to France. Then turn not pale, beloved snail, but come and join the dance. Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you join the dance? Okay, there's something weird in here, but let me, let me try to figure it out. What matters it how far we go, his scaly friend replied. 
There is a lot of internal rhyme in this stanza, and Bricktails, would you look at what happened? I can't believe it. It's shifted. What matters it how far we go, his scaly friend replied. That's iambic. It's shifted meter. It's not in trochaic anymore. There is another shore you know upon the other side. That's why I screwed up that second line. Not because there are beats missing, but because I was trying to read it trochaically. And it didn't work. It doesn't work. You can't be all, there is another shore you know upon the, you can't, the, uh, their side, right? It's impossible. In fact, that second line is a perfectly iambic line. There is another shore you know upon the other side. Seven beats. What matters it how far we go, his scaly friend replied. Perfect. Iambic heptameter. The further off from England, the nearer is to France. If you insert a little pause there, it works exactly. The further off from England, the nearer is to France. Then turn not pale, beloved snail, but come and join the dance. Oh, man, but turn not pale, beloved snail, but come and join the dance. Seven, again. Perfect. Perfect iambic heptameter. Changing meters. Oh, my goodness, that almost never happens. It's the second form. Yeah, we've had the first form, right? Which was the trochaic form in the first two stanzas. And now we're in the second form, which is the iambic form. And we repeat the will you, won't you, will you, won't you, which is in trochae just like before, right? It's exactly the same lines as the first stanza as the whiting continues to press, right? Um, and so, of course, Bricktails, we get more internal rhyme, right? Because we're in iams now. And again, the I am, the, just as trochee places the stress at the start of words, iams place the stress at the end of words. What matters it how far we go, his scaly friend replied. There is another shore, you know, upon the other side. The further off from England, the nearer is to France. Then turn not pale, beloved snail, but come and join the dance. Uh, turn not pale, beloved snail. Um, right, you'd think France would be scarier to a snail than a porpoise, uh, Edith. Um, I see what you mean about that. Um, yeah, it's not safe for snails in France, no, is it? A little safer in England than France, for sure. Remember, the objection of the snail was too far, too far. We've gone too far out to sea. To which the whiting's response, uh, uh, to which the, the whiting's response is, um, what matters it how far we go? There is another shore, you know, upon the other side. Um, why does it matter if we leave the shore? Because if we leave the shore, we're getting closer to the other shore, Right? Uh, the further off from England, the nearer is to France. So it's fine. Um, we're not um, we're not leaving. We're arriving. Man, I don't know what to make of that shift to I am's 
but let's see what oh that's it right we're done we're done I didn't skip a stanza did I is that the end I think that's the end I need to like open my book now lobster could yeah that's it right I think that's it Sorry, I'm looking at my uh Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the end. Um, yeah. Um, what do I make of that? That's so crazy. First form, second form. Definitely, I think. Um, uh But at the same time that the shift to iambic is happening, it's not a regular. It's a shift in the poetry, but it's not exactly a break. It's if you, if you know it's coming, it's perfectly smooth still. Again, those four lines are almost perfectly iambic heptameter. What matters it how far we go, his scaly friend replied. There is another shore, you know, upon the other side. The further off from England, the nearer is to France. Then turn not pale, beloved snail, but come and join the dance. There is a missing syllable. You have to pause to make it up there in the middle of the third line. But apart from that, um, it's almost um, it's almost perfect. But the second form, going out to sea with a snail who is looking at him askance, right, who is not happy with this uh, turn of events, the whole thing shifts, right? It becomes a different poem, and we end with the repeated insistence, will you, won't you, right? Won't you join the dance? Um, with that same, that same shift. Um, the snail has apparently joined the dance whether it wants to or not. Um, it's clearly afraid it's turning pale, like snails don't. Um, the whiting is chivying it on, right, with beloved snail. Um, uh, yeah. Um, Jackrabbit Monster, thanks for posting that. People are talking about the apostrophes, the double apostrophe and won't and can't. Um, Jackrabbit Monster has posted Lewis Carroll's note on that, which I'll read for you. Other critics have objected to certain innovations in spelling, such as can't with two apostrophes and won't. In reply, I can only plead my firm conviction that the popular usage is wrong. As to can't, it will not be disputed that, in, <coughs> in all other words ending in an apostrophe T, these letters are an abbreviation of not. And it is surely absurd to suppose that, in this solitary instance, not is represented by T. In fact, can't is the proper, uh, C-A-N apostrophe T, is the proper abbreviation for can it, just as ist, I-S apostrophe T, is for is it. 
you see the argument here, right? If an apostrophe, an apostrophe generally substitutes for one letter, right? So if you say um, can, C-A-N apostrophe T, um, you are, which is the simpler situation of the two, right? Then basically you're saying that the apostrophe stands in for N-O, right? Can apostrophe T, right? But he's like, we don't ever do that anywhere else, right? Um, it stands in usually for one letter. And when we do use apostrophe T, uh, 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 apostrophe T at the end like that, um, it's with it, right? Um, so he puts in the second apostrophe to show that first we're apostrophizing the first N, right? So you've got ka nt, <laughs> right? Uh, which is a double abbreviation. Um, so he points out that it's inconsistent. Um, yeah, exactly. He's replacing the first N. Exactly. It's, it's the first N. It's not the second N. You don't put the two apostrophes next to each other. That's ridiculous. Right? So you put the one apostrophe before the N and the one apostrophe after the N because you're totally replacing the first N. That's absolutely what's happening. Um, yes. Yes. Um, and Arthur says, this late at night, I'm tempted to, to tell Carol to can it. Um, yes. And if you did tell him to can it, Arthur, then you would just say, can't, C-A-N apostrophe T, right? Why not? Uh, just as people did, in fact, say ist uh, for is it, right? I-S apostrophe T. Um, thank you, Jackrabbit Monsters, from the intro to Silvio, Sylvia and Bruno concluded. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Carita says, I also think that everyone else... Uh, I also sometimes think that everyone else is doing it wrong and my way is the one that makes sense. Uh, yeah, with you on that one, Karita. I have several uh, idiosyncratic um, deviations from uh, the normal accepted. Yep, I hear you. I hear you. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, as Edith says, um, if um, if you tell Carol to can't, then he will reply won't with two apostrophes. Um, anyway, anyway, thanks, Jack Rabbit Monster, for, uh, for quoting that. That's fun. Okay. Um, the sense, then, that I have is this shift in tone, uh, this shift in poetic style here in the second part. Um, and um, the whiting seems to be not taking no for an answer, right? Well, let's look at the prose following up from this. I can tell you more than that if you like, said the griffin. Do you know why it's called a whiting? I never thought about it, said Alice. Why? It does the boots and shoes, the, griff the griffin replied very solemnly. Alice was thoroughly puzzled. Does the boots and shoes, she repeated in a wondering tone. Why, what are, you sh what are your shoes done with, said the griffin. I mean, what makes them so shiny? Alice looked down at them and considered a little bit before she gave her answer. They're done with blacking, I believe. Boots and shoes under the sea, the griffin went on in a deep voice, are done with whiting. Now you know. What are they made of? Alice asked in a tone of great curiosity. Soles and eels, of course, the griffin replied rather impatiently. Any shrimp could have told you that. If I'd been the whiting, said Alice, whose thoughts were still running on the song, I'd have said to the porpoise, Keep back, please. We don't want you with us. 
They were obliged to have him with them, said the, the Mock Turtle said. No wise fish would go anywhere without a porpoise. Wouldn't it really, said Alice, in a tone of great surprise. Of course not, said the Mock Turtle. Why, if a fish came to me and told me he was going a journey, I should say, with what porpoise? Don't you mean purpose, said Alice? I mean what I say, the Mock Turtle replied in an offended tone. Um, okay. Now, lots of punning happening here, Arthur. I'm ho I hope you're enjoying this passage. Um, whiting and blacking, right? Um, no wise fish would go anywhere without a porpoise uh, is uh, uh, a delightful expression. Um, the point is, I think, uh, the soles and eels, of course, uh, right, that the boots are made of. Um, Alice's relationship with it, right? We've seen Alice on the receiving end of this kind of thing before, right? In the mad tea party, right? Um, Notice how confused Alice is. Before, she was saying things which the Mad Hatter and the March Hare were picking at, right? Um, and she was being criticized for not saying what she meant, right? What's happening here is that she's the audience of all of these things. Right? The griffin is going out of his way. I can tell you. Wait, do you know why it's called a whiting? Notice she's being asked a riddle. Right? Um, but she doesn't take it for a riddle this time and try to answer it. Perhaps she's given up on that. But just like she was being, she was asked what sounded very much like a riddle. Um, but then she was told it's not a riddle. It's just a question they didn't know the answer to. Um, here, she does not respond as if it's a riddle. She does not assume she knows what's going on. Remember, she was grasping at straws, as one might, right, in the beginning of the conversation with the Mad Hatter and the March Hare. And um, she was grasping at what looked like a nice life preserver, a nice conversational life preserver, right? Remember, well, we're doing riddles. Great. Now, finally, I'm oriented to what's happening here. She doesn't seize upon that orientation here. I never thought about it. Why? Right? In part because, of course, they've been describing such very peculiar things beneath the ocean um, that um, uh, she just she wants to know why it's called a whiting. Um, she did not want it. What was the what was the riddle before something about a writing desk? What's the difference between a raven and a writing desk? Something like that. Um, or what do a raven and a writing desk have in common? I'm, I'm forgetting it exactly. You guys can remind me. But um, uh that was not a question she was interested at all in the answer to, right? Nobody knew in any case, but she wasn't interested anyhow. Um, here, she is interested. What uh, is in fact going to be treated like a riddle um, uh, is actually a question which she thinks is just a piece of information she would quite like. Why is it called a whiting? Oh, I don't know. It would be interesting to learn why it's called a whiting. And the solemn answer she's given is... A pun it does the boots and shoes. 
and she doesn't follow. She doesn't, um, how is a raven like a writing desk? Thank you, JJ, appreciate that. Um, how is a raven like a writing desk? Um, was the question before. Um, here, she receives the solemn answer. A whiting is called a whiting because it does the boots and shoes. And she just doesn't get it. Does the boots and shoes? What do boots and shoes have to do with a whiting? She knows a whiting to be a fish, right? Um, and then the griffin sets her up, right? Her shoots, her shoots, her boots and shoes um, are shined with blacking, right? Um, and we're told that boots and shoes under the sea are done with whiting. Now you know. I love the now you know. Um, it's a joke, right? It's a joke. Whitings don't actually do that. Unless maybe they do, right? Uh, we've been learning very peculiar things, right? Um, and Alice isn't sure. Alice isn't sure. And, and what are they made of? What are they made of? That is, if if they do the boots, so if you, you rub blacking onto your shoes in order to polish them, um, so do you rub whitings? Like, so you take this fish and rub them on your boots? How does that work? What They must be made of some peculiar substance in order for this to affect the polishing of boots and shoes under the sea, right? And then the griffin is replying impatiently now with his puns. Souls and eels, of course. So it has the shape of him just setting her up completely, right? Like he's just, he's just, he's just having fun with her, making puns and jokes in a sense at her expense, right? Making it out like he's telling her useful things and interesting things about what happens beneath the sea when in fact um, he's just stringing her along and making jokes. Except that's not his tone at all. That's not his tone at all. Um, and uh, he's first um, solemn, and then he's impatient. Any shrimp could have told you that. If I'd been the whiting, said Alice, whose thoughts were still running on the song, I'd have said to the porpoise, keep back, please. We don't want you with us. They were obliged to have him with them. No wise fish would go anywhere without a porpoise. So we are deploy the second, really the third, but the second kind of pun, right? If we consider the whiting puns as one unit, um, now we have the porpoise pun, right? Um, no wise fish would go anywhere without a porpoise. And once again, Alice, wouldn't it really? I didn't know that fish had to be like chaperoned by porpoises, she says. Once again, she's taking their words completely seriously. Um, until this point, when the mock turtle repeats it, if a fish came to me and told me he was going a journey, I should say, with what purpose? Don't you mean purpose, says Alice, finally picking up on what's happening here, right? I mean what I say, the mock turtle, turtle replied in an offended tone. Um, until that very end, both Alice and her interlocutors are treating the punning as if it isn't even happening, right? Um, the frustration of Alice, 
the frustration that she has shown it many times, right? It's not the same here as it was before. And again, I'm not sure. I think this is progress, but uh, but I'm not I'm not quite sure. Um, you're right, Arthur. Any homework on this poem would be a whiting assignment uh, for sure. Um, well, let's keep going. Um, so we get more fun with Isaac Watts poetry. Here's the original Isaac Watts poem. "'Tis the voice of the sluggard. I heard him complain. You have walked, you have waked me too soon. I must slumber again. As the door on its hinges, so he on his bed turns his sides and his shoulders and his heavy head. A little more sleep and a little more slumber, thus he wastes half his days and his hours without number. And when he gets up, he sits, folding his hands, or walks about sauntering, or trifling he stands." I passed by his garden and saw the wild briar, the thorn and the thistle grow broader and higher. The clothes that hang on him are turning to rags, and his money still wastes till he starves or he begs. I made him a visit, still hoping to find he had took better care for improving his mind. He told me his dreams, talked of eating and drinking, but he scarce reads his Bible and never loves thinking. Then said I then to my heart, here's a lesson for me. That man's but a picture of what I might be. But thanks to my friends for their care and my breeding, who have taught me betimes to love working and reading. There we go. Another instructive, improving poem from Isaac Watts. Um, meter's a little awkward, isn't it? Tis the voice of the sluggard I heard him complain. Um... It's um, in iams, right? You have waked me too soon. I must slumber again. Um, so it's an iambic tetrameter, four beats, right? Um, as the door on its hinges, so he on his bed turns his sides and his shoulders and his heavy head. Um, and it's awkward because if you know the meter already and you insist on it, you can make it work like I just did in that last line, turns his sides and his shoulders and, he, and his heavy head. Um, but it's... Oh, sorry, Anapest. What did I say? Man, I'm tired. Yes, Anapests. Did I say... What did I say? I can't even remember what I said. Um, I didn't say dactyls, did I? No, I said trochees, didn't I? Probably. Anapests is what I meant. Good grief. Yes, Anapests. Three foot lines. Unstressed, unstressed, stressed. Tis the voice of the sluggard I heard him complain. Um, yes, that is in fact Anapests, which is what I thought I was saying. Um, yes, yes. Um, but it's, it's not very even. It doesn't work very well. A little more sleep and a little more slumber. Thus he wastes half his days and his hours without number. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and when he and and when he gets up, he sits folding his hands or walks about sauntering or trifling. He stands. There's extra syllables. It's it's it stumbles. It stumbles. Now, um, I think Isaac Watts might possibly um, be being clever here, and that is. Um, he might want these verses to stumble around like the lazy, like the sluggard, right? The lazy person is, uh, is stumbling around. Let's see. 
Let's read that last syllable again. Said I then to my heart, here's a lesson for me, that man's but a picture of what I might be. But thanks to my friends for their care in my breeding, who have taught me betimes to love working and reading. Yeah, much better. Much better. Um, yeah, I do think he's being clever here. I think that there are extra syllables, and I think I think his meter's not working on purpose. Um, yeah, I think I do think I do think he wrote this um, wrote this these verses with a porpoise. Yeah, that was definitely his problem. Um, okay. Remember, Alice has told the story to the mock turtle and the griffin about how she had said poetry before and it hadn't come out right. And they're like, ooh, do it again. Do Tis the Voice of the Sluggard. So she gives it a shot. Tis the voice of the lobster, I heard him declare, You have baked me too brown, I must sugar my hair. As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose Trims his belt and his buttons and turns out his toes. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark, And will talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the tide rises and sharks are around, His voice has a timid and tremulous sound. Oh, man. Um... I have a weakness for Anapest. Anybody who can really keep up, um, who can really keep up Anapest, um, Dr. Seuss is phenomenal at Anapest. Um, Anapest is what um, uh, the Grinch is in, the Sneetches. Um, uh, yes. Then the Grinch's small heart grew. Th- three sizes that day. Um, uh, yeah. Let me just read it again. Tis the voice of the lobster I heard him declare. You have baked me too brown, I must sugar my hair. As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose trims his belt and his buttons and turns out his toes. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark and will speak in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the ti- but when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremulous sound. Um, yeah, it sounds like Horton. Here's a who. Yep, yep. That, well, again, uh, uh, Dr. Seuss loves Anapest. And also notice how there are places in these lines where he shifts from a perfect iambic meter. Uh, iambic. Perfect anapestic meter, right? Um, so, like, for instance, in... Um, uh, so the star-bellied sneeches had bellies with stars, but the plain-bellied sneeches had none upon thars. Um, are, are perfect... Anapestic lines. Um, notice how he's varying it up, right? Um, Tis the voice of the lobster I heard him declare, You have baked me to brown, I must sugar my hair. As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose trims his belt and his buttons and turns out his toes. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark. I guess it's not as very. I thought I thought there were variations in there. When I was reading it before, I thought I heard a few IMs, which is not uncommon. Um, uh, there is at least one, and we'll talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. By the way, um, when you're writing in strict meter, 
and you're working in four syllable words, you're flexing as a, a metrical poet. Um, contemptuous, right? Four syllable word with the stress on the second syllable. So you've got to work that in so that it works with the anapest. Man. Um, yes, I agree. We get some I am at the end there, don't we? I think both of the last two lines. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark and will speak in con- and will talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremulous sound. Yeah, it's those last two lines where we get it, right? But when the tide rises and sharks are around, the rest of the Mariana Pests, but the first one is shortened into an I am. His voice has a timid and tremulous sound. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. And yes, Twas the Night Before Christmas is anapestic as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that makes it so memorable, um, is its, uh, its anapestic rhythm. Um, and notice how that goes, how that is. Anapest, it's easier to remember. I think it's easier to remember an anapestic poem um, because the stress syllables are fewer in the line, and so they kind of stand out, right? Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. You just have to remember the four syllables, right? Um, and when you do, you can fill in the rest of them easy enough, right? Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Boom, 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 right? Yeah, you get those. Um, uh, I, I think it makes it much easier to memorize anapestic poetry. But um, but when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremulous sound. Now, um What on earth is happening in this poem? Tis the voice of the lobster. I heard him declare. So so the lobster's declaring what? You have baked me too brown. I must sugar my hair. As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose trims his belt and his buttons and turns out his toes. Okay, so I have... Um, um, resisted the application of the word nonsense uh, through most of this book, right? But this sounds to me a bit like nonsense, actually. Simple, like, funny non-sequiturs. As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose. Okay, okay trims his belt and his buttons and turns out his toes. So he trims his belt and his buttons with his nose. Okay, so it's with his nose that he trims his belt and his buttons. Okay. As a duck with its eyelids. What? What? Uh... As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose. I can't figure out whether he's using his nose to make... uh, He's using his nose to imitate the eyelids of a... to, To make his belt and buttons imitate the eyelids of a duck. 
or whether he's using his nose to trim his belt and his buttons as a duck would use its eyelids to trim its belt and its buttons. You think? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's the latter one. As a duck with its eyelids. So he with his nose. There's a clear parallel there. So ducks apparently trim their belts and buttons with their eyelids, and lobsters, by contrast, trim their belt and buttons with their noses. Now you know. And turns out his toes. Okay. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark, and will talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremulous sound. All right. All right. Um, okay, to trim one's belt and buttons, I assume, means like to um, straighten things, right? Um, I assume so. Especially because the turning out of one's toes uh, is to sort of indicate, like, standing neatly, right? Stand with your toes turned out uh, means to be not like all the way out, right? Um, just your toes sort of apart, uh, neatly, symmetrically, um, so that you're standing with your heels together and your toes somewhat out. Um, yeah, trim up as in make tidy. Exactly, Torlonio. Uh, that's exactly what I think it means. Just as like when you stand with your toes turned out, you're standing you know, like neatly at attention, like a footman might stand. Um, so, uh, um, yeah. All right. That's what lobsters do with their noses, and ducks apparently use their eyelids uh, for the same purpose. Um, sugaring my hair I, I have this vague feeling. You have make, baked me too brown. I must sugar my hair. I have this vague feeling it might have made more sense in the 19th century. That is, um, I think that there's some reference to cookery here that I'm not getting. Um, I, as I have said, I've cooked lobster several times. I've never baked a lobster, though I imagine one could. Um, uh, I've certainly never had sugar anywhere near a lobster, in fact. Um, and even apart from the fact that lobsters very clearly do not have hair, um, uh, even if uh, sort of metaphorically uh, we're understanding the metaphorical hair of a lobster, um, uh, I don't understand why it's sugared and how that what has to do with being baked too brown. Um, is the sugar meant to conceal the overcooking? of the lobster somehow? I don't know. Um, I don't know, nor do I have any idea what that has to do with the second half. Um, the confidence of the lobster um, when the tide is out, but the timidity and tremulousness of the lobster uh, when the tide rises and sharks are around. Um, Yeah, I. Yeah, JJ. Again, I, I I can easily imagine baked lobster, especially maybe uh, like uh, with some sort of stuffing. But sugar, 
I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I don't think it's like a gilded lily. Um, like that kind of expression, like something completely over the top. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Um, but um, stuffed baked is the best, Aaron says. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's good. It's good. But I have to say, like a nice steamed lobster, hard to beat. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, let's um, let's go back to the sluggard because this is the poem that she's reciting, right? "'Tis the voice of the sluggard I heard him complain. "'Tis the voice of the lobster I heard him declare." So the lobster is in place of the sluggard. Now the sluggard is giving us illustrations of um, uh, being lazy, right? He's complaining. You have waked me too soon. I must slumber again as the door on its hinges. So he on his bed turns his sides and his shoulders and his heavy head. Um, you, um, uh, oh, don't female lobsters have beards? Yes, that is canon. You're right. I don't know what came over me there. Um, boy, I just, yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it? But anyway, um, some uh, readers will recognize uh, what Watts is referring to here. The second two lines of that first stanza are a paraphrase uh, of a passage in Proverbs. Um, uh, like a door on its hinges, so the lazy man turns himself in bed. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, a really fun uh, kind of visual metaphor of the tossing and turning of a lazy person who has stayed in bed too long. And they're not really sleeping anymore. They're just kind of you know, sort of hanging out in bed and tossing and turning, really should get up, right? Um, so that's the uh, that's the image from Proverbs. So he immediately, Isaac Watts, that is, immediately invokes the biblical Proverbs image, right, of uh, as the door on its hinges. Um, uh, so he's rolling over and trying to go to sleep again. A little more sleep and a little more slumber. Um, once again, it, there's a quotation there. Is that from Proverbs? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands in sleep. Um, yeah, I think that's Proverbs still. Um, Thus he wastes half his days and his hours without number, and when he gets up and sits folding his hands, or walks about sauntering, or trifling, he stands. Um, yes, exactly, there's the end of it, Edith. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Yeah, totally a proverb. Um, it's got the... Uh, I love Hebrew poetry. I'm coming to love it more and more, actually, the more I read of it, and the more I come to understand its form. I love the threefold division at the beginning, and then the dose. It's got the three at the beginning and two at the end. Um, anyway, never mind. We're not here to uh, do a poetic analysis of the Proverbs, but um, that's what Isaac Watts is adapting here, right? And he's giving examples of how he is an application. Now, um, Edith, of course, as you quote the proverb about um, a little sleep, a little, a little, a little more sleep, a little more slumber, right? The proverb that that is taken from um, is a stern warning that if if you act that way, if you say that sort of thing, right, um, then poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Um, you are going to be overtaken. Um, you are going to be pillaged by poverty, right? Um, but 
Isaac Watts delays it, right? We've got the, um, it's going to, um, it's going to come to him later on, right? Stanza three, where he's going to get around to that. I passed by his garden and saw the wild briar. Oh, I mean, there are thorns and briars all over the place in his garden. He's not keeping his garden. The thorn and the thistle grew broader and higher. Oh, man. The clothes that hang on him are turning to rags, and his money still wastes till he starves or he begs. There it is. Poverty's come upon him like a robber in the end, right? So we see first his his complaint, then we hear his attitude, we hear about his attitude, and we see what he does, and then we see the consequences, right? Um, so there's Isaac Watts' um, poem. What What are we... The second half by itself begins to sound like it has a moral application. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark, and will talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremulous sound. Okay, so he's arrogant, um, but then the tide rises. And honestly, this begins to sound like a proverb too, right? When the tide rises, his voice has a timid, you know, um, so like one who is, um, um, uh, you know, one who um, speaks confidently under positive circumstances, right, uh, may speak timidly and tremulously uh, when cir- circumstances change, right? It's the kind of thing that sounds proverbial, right? And... Um, uh, seems like a warning against presumption or arrogance or something like that. Um, no idea what that has to do with the eyelids of ducks, however. Howsoever they may deploy them in uh, trimming their belts and buttons, apparently. Um, but um, But wait, it goes on. I passed by his garden and marked with one eye how the owl and the panther were sharing a pie. The panther took pie crust and gravy and meat, while the owl had the dish as its share of the treat. When the pie was all finished, the owl, as a boon, was kindly permitted to pocket the spoon, while the panther received knife and fork with a growl and concluded the banquet by... (laughs) Oh, man. What a fun game, right? Um... By what? Right? Um, I love how this invites, especially your juvenile audience to whom you're reading the book, to finish the line. Right? Um, And concluded the banquet by, yeah, pretty sure it's eating the owl. Right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Probably not burping most foul, Arthur. I, I doubt that. I doubt that. Um... It is uh, theoretically possible that it's hugging the owl, Tarlonio, uh, but I think probably not. Um, uh, giving a howl <laughs> could also theoretically work, uh, but I think um, uh, I think probably not. Um, especially the way that we've been going back and forth between the owl and the panther uh, for most of the poem, using a towel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, it's possible. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's uh, um, <laughs> re- re- removing his cowl. Uh, there are lots of things he could be doing. Um, yeah, donning a cowl. Yeah, JJ was thinking the same way there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, 
Um, what just happened here? I passed by his garden and marked with one eye how the owl and the panther were sharing a pie. The panther took pie crust and gravy and meat while the owl had the dish in its share as its share of the treat. When the pie was all finished, the owl as a boon was kindly permitted to pocket the spoon while the panther received knife and fork with a growl and concluded... Um, sorry, I was looking at the meter. I passed starts with an uh, an I am. The panther starts with an I am. Was kindly starts with an I am. So we want three out of these eight lines. It's not a regular pattern. That's what I was looking to see, if there was a pattern of that, because I noticed that, but no, it doesn't really work as a pattern. Um, okay. Once again... This sounds like a parable of some sort, right? The owl and the panther were sharing a pie. The panther took pie crust and gravy and meat, while the owl had the dish as its share of the treat. When the pie was all finished, the owl as a boon was kindly permitted to pocket the spoon, while the panther received knife and fork with a growl and concluded the banquet by... something or other, right? Um... Um, it sounds like a murder most foul <laughs> concluded the banquet with murder most foul um, yeah, nice nice Tarloniel and Jack Rabbit Monster said that at exactly the same time um, okay um, <laughs> yeah by buying a vowel. Oh, man. Okay, 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 okay. Anyway. Um, once again, it has the proper kind of moralistic tone, right? Um, when an owl and a panther share a pie together, right, the panther is going to get all the pie and the owl is going to be left with the dish and maybe be permitted to keep the spoon while the panther keeps the knife, the knife and fork, right? The sort of business end of the, uh, of the cutlery there. Um, and then, of course, ends by turning on the owl. Um, sounds kind of proverbial, right? Sounds like, a, 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 like there, there's, a, there's, there's an instructive moral here, potentially, right? Um, but it has way departed away from Tis the Voice of the Sluggard. Remember how um, the Father William poem... Um, you know, was doing different things and kind of degenerating at the end, but it was paralleling still, stanza by stanza in general, um, and was um, really pointedly turning the moral of the original poem on its head. Um, here, there's not a commentary on laziness or a commentary on commentaries on laziness like we got in the Father William poem um, it just becomes something different and yes you're right Tarlonio owls are better off hanging out with pussy cats uh, they tend to have much more much less um, exciting adventures and maybe end up with more to eat at the end of the day um, it is like a dark version of the owl and the pussy cat in a sense um, you 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Notice also another thing that I've been sort of skimming over. Notice how Carol has turned these stanzas into um, from four to eight, right? He sort of mushed them together. It still follows the overall shape of the Isaac Watts poem. Um, in that the first two stanzas go together, right? They're about the the sort of the complaint of the sluggard, his words and what he does. And then you've got, I passed by his garden, right? Those last two stanzas are sort of the conclusion. But of course, there's a fifth stanza in Isaac Watts, which is kind of the point of the thing, right? Here's a lesson for me. That's the part you're really supposed to remember, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Here we get the eight lines combined together in a similar overall shape, but with no resolution and certainly no application of what, much of which, not the eyelids bit so much perhaps, but the the second half of the lobster stanza and the whole of the owl and the panther stanza sound like there really could be instructive morals here, right? You could almost fit this into one of those books. Um, Oh, I'm not sure it does predate The Owl and the Pussycat. I see. That's what you guys were asking, which came first. I thought you were asking which came first between this and Isaac Watts. And I'm like, well, Isaac Watts came first, obviously. But um, uh, there may have been a version of The Owl and the Pussycat published in 1871, but... um, I'd have to look it up. This is a medieval poem. I think. On the Owl and the Pussycat. It's an old story. Less so the Owl and the Panther. Um, So I'm not sure the 1871 book that you're finding there is the, like, you know, source of the Owl and the Pussycat story. Is that right? It might not be the same story. We'd have to see how the owl and the pussycat goes. But I'm pretty sure there's a... um, Pretty sure there's a traditional owl and the pussycat story. Again, like a Middle English poem, I'm recalling. But vaguely. It's been a long time. Um, Okay. I think... I think we can get very briefly, very briefly, because I don't have too much to say about this. The last poem, the turtle soup poem. Um, He's commanded the mock turtle to sing a song about soup, which would seem insensitive as he's a mock turtle, which is what you make mock turtle soups out of. Um, But nevertheless, he's instructed to sing about the soup song. Beautiful soup, so rich and green, waiting in a hot tureen, who for such dainties would not stoop. Soup of the evening, beautiful soup. Soup of the evening, beautiful soup. Beautiful soup. Beautiful soup. Um, There's clearly a melody for this, right? 
how we have these protracted soup of the evening. Um, and I'm trying to see if he's doing something about the rhythm there. Beautiful soup. Beautiful soup is a four-syllable phrase. Um, it's a four-syllable phrase which is fun because it has a stress at the beginning and the end, right? Bu at the start is stressed. Soup at the end is stressed. Um, so it's a nice sort of contained phrase that way. And they take that phrase and add two extra syllables to it. Make it a six-syllable phrase. Beautiful soup. Beautiful. Yeah. That's just weird. Adding the oot there after the bu just gives you three. Um, it just gives you extra syllables that, that like unstressed syllables in the middle, right? You've still got bu and oop. Um, are your stressed syllables, right? But you've got all the others just kind of strung along in between. Beautiful soup, so rich and green, waiting in a hot tureen. So rich and green, waiting in a hot tureen. Who for such dainties would not stoop? I can't make out the meter of this song. Beautiful soup, so rich and green. That's iambic, so rich and green. Waiting, waiting, strokeic. Waiting in a hot tureen. It's all over the place. Who for such dainties would not stoop? Huh. Beautiful soup, who cares for fish, game or any other dish, who would not give all else for two pennyworth only of beautiful soup, pennyworth only of beautiful soup. Um, yeah, Jackrabbit Monster, I have seen the peril with the beautiful star in Heaven So Bright poem. Um, I'm not sure I believe in it. Um, yeah, star of the evening, beautiful star. Yeah, it probably is. Um, Softly falls thy silvery light. Beautiful star in heaven so bright. Softly falls thy silvery light. That's just iambic. Clearly iambic. As thou movest from earth. As thou movest from earth afar. Star of the evening. Beautiful star. Yeah. It's iambic. It's got some irregularities, but it's iambic. Beautiful soup, so rich and green, waiting in a hot tureen. Yeah. 
the only problem there is just the switch at the beginning. Waiting in a hot terrain. In hot terrain, yeah. Who for such dainties would not stoop? That's the line. Who for such dainties would not stoop? Um, the parallel is softly falls thy silvery light. Who for such dainties would not stoop? I don't know. You're stooping pretty far to reach that meter, I can tell you. To reach that word. Um, who would not who would not give all else for two there were in I am's again. Pennyworth only of beautiful soup. Awkward. And Carol is never awkward without um, it's never awkward without uh, wanting to be without trying to be um, yeah we'll see okay maybe we'll come back to this next time I don't want to keep you too late I, I wanted to move on with this um, yeah, exa- exactly he always writes poetry with a porpoise um, it's clearly a very firm rule all right, we'll come back to this next time. I'm not sure I'm done with the beautiful soup song, but I'm not going to stay all night pondering over it. Um, so let's um, we'll return to the beautiful soup, and then we'll head off into chapter 11. Uh, definitely, you should have read to the end already, which we didn't get to, but um, we'll, we'll see if we can get to the end uh, and the trial uh, that uh, Alice, of course, is witness to. It's going to be a while. More soup in three weeks, indeed. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to do class next week, and then I'm away the week after that. So it is going to be uh, not until the, what is it, 17th, I think, of August, unfortunately, uh, before we're able to meet again. Um, but we shall we shall get there. By the end of August, before the end of August, we will get to the end of Alice in Wonderland, and then we'll begin um, uh, through the looking glass after that. All right, that's the plan. Thanks, everybody, for joining me tonight. Uh, and I will see you guys soon. Bye now.